Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abi Dawji and this is the Big Picture broadcasting simultaneously on Radio Islam and Radio Al Ansar. Ahlan wasalan and how's it? All of you wonderful bio beno and assorted buzrukos of genuine and zigzag variety. Kemcho, kihai, unjani, apki tabiat kaisi hai. All good, alhamdulillah. That's great. The definition of happiness for me is what I enjoyed a few minutes ago. Hot tea and Sheppy Oreo. Yes, folks, Sheppy. That's my hometown, Port Shepston. Also the hometown of the internationally renowned icon, Idris. I like it, Kamisa. <laughs> so... Two Mari biscuits stuck together with butter. Dip that into hot tea and it's pure heaven. But you have to have special scientific knowledge before you embark on this gastronomical delight. The essential knowledge is this. How long must the biscuits be dipped into the tea before taking it out? And my extensive research has concluded that it has to be in the, in the tea for exactly 1.25 seconds. Not a moment more. Otherwise, the biscuit will flop into the tea in a soggy blobs, in soggy blobs, a total mess. So, there you are, folks. Who said that the big picture is not an educational program? Life-changing stuff you learn on this program, Habibi. Life-changing. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you a very important question, a deeply philosophical one. Dear listeners, how would you feel if a judge in a court ordered that you are not allowed to carry eggs in public? Did I see you raising your eyebrow, Mota? It's a serious question. What if a court banned you from carrying eggs in public? Think about it for a moment, okay? <laughs> okay, stop thinking. Here's the full story. A British university student who was arrested for throwing eggs at King Charles III on last week, Thursday, said he had been banned from carrying eggs in public as part of his bail conditions. Patrick Telwell, 23 years old, was released from custody after Wednesday's incidents in York, Northern England during a visit by the monarch. North Yorkshire Police uh, said he was arrested on suspicion of a public order offence. None of the eggs hit Charles, 73 years old, and he was ushered away by minders. Telwell told the Daily Mirror newspaper that people were literally screaming and wailing at me with pure rage. Telwell, a York University student and environmental activist who opposes the monarchy, said he had received death threats. He said he was released at 2200 hours on Wednesday on condition he does not go within 500 meters of the king. He is also not allowed to possess any eggs in public, <laughs> which he claimed to have had amended so he could go grocery shopping. <laughs> Can't make this stuff. Eh? Well, dear listeners, I thought that's a bit strange. Eh? You can go shopping to a supermarket where you can buy eggs and maybe milk and bread, etc. But what if he just ran out of eggs at home? Only eggs, and he went to the supermarket Supermarket, and was going home with eggs only, and a constable stopped him. Hello, hello, hello. What have we here, governor? Ah, eggs. 
I'm afraid I'll have to put you under arrest for breaking your bail conditions. <laughs> wow. I can just imagine great legal minds scrambling to find a solution to this serious egg issue. Did you get that, Mota? Scrambling to find a solution to the egg issue. No? Okay. Never mind, Abibi. Your friend will explain it to you. Let's move on. But wait, before I do, I am reminded of something I told you about a long time ago. Um, uh, of course, from Estafarkfontein, eh? Yes, folks, there is such a place. It's near Delmas. I kid you not. My dear friend Chota Jasat used to live on a farm there, Estafarkfontein. I think it means porcupine. <laughs> anyway, Kurs Vermark had... Uh, I had a friend who was working as a butler at Buckingham Palace. So last week when uh, he was visiting London, his chomi managed to get him to meet Charles. And they ch chatted over some tea and so on. And Kua said, yes, sir, king, king, don't you have any cook sisters, eh? Dipping this uh, cucumber sandwich in the tea is not too lekker, eh? <laughs> anyway, uh, and then he said, anyway, king, you got a big place here, eh? 60 rooms there. Why you don't make it a B&B? I can bring my O's from back home and we can make some lekker bucks or boot. <laughs> and Charles laughed and said, uh, Listen, old boy, <laughs> you don't have to call me king. Just call me your highness. That's all, your highness. And Kurt said, Yes, sir, sir. What a hell of a thing, eh? My goddess name is your highness. <laughs> I can't name is your honest. Uh, yeah. Anyway, now let me say something that will probably have you falling off your chair. Here it is. Dear listeners, I think that our government is made up of brilliant minds, forward-looking visionaries. Yes, folks, people with foresight, people who can anticipate and predict problems that can occur in the future and make plans now to prepare for them. People who are deeply concerned for the welfare of the good citizens of this country. So, <laughs> I know what you are thinking, eh? What are you smoking, A.B. Tauji? Ah, let me explain. Now, for some time now, we have had load shedding. Uh, at the back there, who said, say, Kassam? Eh? <laughs> Recently, we heard that some parts of the country have uh, experienced water shedding. Yes, many parts of Durban, for example, are high and dry. Uh, and I think that not too far into the future, there will be petrol shedding. Yes, folks, in many parts of the world, there are long queues at filling stations. Uh, for example, Lebanon and Sri Lanka and all of that. Yeah. So our government is preparing for petrol shedding. How, you ask? By getting us used to alternative forms of transport, donkey carts. And as you know, they have already started the project. Here's the news report. Um, a Northwest Department of Community Safety and Road Management has just launched a 780,000 uh, rand donkey carts project to acquire 20 donkey carts which were given uh, to villages in Dibono and Manawana districts outside Mahikeng. The cost includes a three-year service plan. The carts are reportedly used to ferry sick people to clinics 
pupils to schools, people needing assistance to and from shops, and the elderly to pension payout points. The two-seater costs 32500 each, and the four-seaters 45500 said the office. Hmm, isn't that absolutely wonderful? Dear listeners, I can just see in the years to come, when petrol shedding gets worse, the cities will be filled with these donkey carts. I'm just wondering about one thing, though. What is this service plan that's included in the project? Service plan. Is it for the donkey or the cart? I mean, generally in a car, the service refers to the power that is the engine. So, obviously, it's the donkey. Uh, the horsepower, <laughs> sorry, I should say donkey power. How will it be serviced? Uh, perhaps the shoes on the hooves will be changed and its pressure and blood sugar will be checked and a hefty injection of vitamins will be administered. <laughs> and, and what about fuel consumption? Eh? I heard that donkeys could do half kilo of hay per 100 kilometers. Not bad, eh, Mota? And, and the report said that the carts will be used to convey the sick to the hospital. What if there's an emergency, I was thinking? Will some carts have a red light on the top and a siren going um, beep, oh, beep, oh, beep, or maybe the donkey would make hee-haw, hee-haw, hee-haw. <laughs> you know, I'm so excited about this new project, and I must compliment the government preparing in advance for problems that will arise from load shedding, uh, petrol shedding in the future. Full marks, Cyril, by full marks. Well done. Ah, South Africa, what an amazing place, eh? Hey, a true kakistocracy. Yes, folks, it's a perfect description. Not a democracy, a kakis, kakistocracy. <laughs> That's not a rude word, Mamu. It's not even Afrikaans or South African. Here's what Wikipedia says. A kakistocracy is a government run by the worst, least qualified or most unscrupulous citizens. The word was coined as early as the 17th century. Hmm. <laughs> well, let me say this. I, like the good citizens of this wonderful country, I'm totally 100% egged up, completely fed up with the wholesale looting that has been carrying on for the past 30 years or so. Let me, let me pause and give some valuable advice. Valuable advice to the rogues. Right. Dear Laddus, if you want to enter the field of Chorwanness, please... Please use your brains, okay? Keep in mind some very important unwritten rules. Don't flash your wealth, okay? You are working as a clerk in the Department of Water and Sanitation, then suddenly you are driving around in a Ferrari and staying in a, in a mansion in Santon, and you and your family are traveling first class to New York. What? What a mampara. You'd rather put a big loudspeaker on your Lamborghini and shout to the world, Hey, I'm a tender Jorwan! But the Ullus, instead of stashing the loot, want to attract attention. See, I'm a mamu, <laughs> Of course, my comments are tongue-in-cheek. But you know, it's a reality. I, I, off, I, I opened the Sunday Times, last week's Sunday Times. And... Um, I throw my hands up in the air or want to read something really wonderful. 
But I throw my hands up in the air regarding taxpayers' money, your money, disappearing into the pockets of fat cat chorwans. Well, I opened the Sunday Times, and lo and behold, almost every page is about money stolen. Take a listen. Page 2. This is from page 2. The um, SIU, that is the Special Investigating Unit, uh, announced that it was probing cases of um, fraud at the NLC. The NLC is, of course, the National Lotteries Commission, a BMW 420i and two ocean basket franchises on the east end were also part of the order, confiscation order, right? The assets are worth about 25 million. And a Branson property owned by the actress known as Terry Peto, Peto, P-H-E-T-O, Peto, is amongst those attached. The actress bought it for 1.25 million in 2017 according to a deed search. Uh, and well, she's named amongst other people also here. So Petu can't stomach this accusation. <laughs> Did you get that? Eh? Petu can't stomach this accusation and said she will cooperate fully with the SIU. <laughs> and and this one on page four really takes the cake. Really takes the cake, man. Takes the whole bakery, in fact. Listen very carefully. A farm outside Ermelo in Pumalanga was bought for 10.5 million rands. 10.5 million rands and sold on to the government just a few minutes later for 36 million rands. The staggering 25.5 million markup will take center stage when the trial of former state security minister Bongani Bongo and others gets underway in the Bombela Commercial Crimes Court in Pumalanga on Tuesday. They are facing 69 cases, counts of fraud, theft, corruption, and contravention of the Public Finance Management Act. A second land deal in Emasleni, uh, using the same modus operandi, saw a farm bought for 15 million rands and sold on to the Human Settlements Department for 37.5 million. <laughs> also allegedly within few minutes. Bongo, who was head of legal service in a provincial human settlements department at the time of the deals in 2011, was the key player in the two land deals, according to the National Prosecuting Authority. The deals involved two middlemen companies buying the farmland and then selling it on to the province on the same day. Bongo's former wife, Sandile Nkosi, and his younger brother, Sipo Bongo, amongst the accused. Bongo was appointed state security minister by then president. President Jacob Zuma in October 2017, he was fired from cabinet in February 2018 by incoming President Cyril Ramaphosa. According to the NPA, uh, Bongo played a central role in the appointment of law firm Singwani and Partners, which conducted conveyancing services on behalf of the department when the two farms were acquired. The department's former head, David Dube, is among those charged with Bongo after he allegedly received 400,000 rands from the proceeds of the transactions according to the charge sheet. The charge sheet states that the payments went towards the purchase of a Mercedes-Benz that Dube later used as a trade-in deposit when he acquired a 1.2 million rand Mercedes-Benz C63 AMG. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You know, two things hit you in the face. Firstly, this character, Bongani Bongo, was at one time the state 
security minister. Can you believe it? The top man in the country is responsible for ensuring that the country was safe and secure. No Choruan actions. Secondly, and this is the big one, Mamu, big one. How to turn 10.5 million rands into 36 million rands in a few minutes. Hi, boy. <laughs> Even Elon Musk can't do that. By the way, by the way, it looks like uh, Musk's uh, new venture, uh, buying Twitter for $44 billion is coming off the rails. Yes, the wheels seem to be coming off. He even confessed that the company could be facing bankruptcy. I read this in the Guardian newspaper, but I, I don't think he's got too much to worry about. The richest man in the world were $200 billion. And the bankruptcy, if it happens, won't affect his fortunes very much because he got others to invest uh, in buying Twitter, namely the big boys, the Saudis and the Qataris, they invested. Shame, you know, I can't stop with the tears just flowing for these poor chaps. Eh? Boo hoo hoo hoo. Okay, let's get back to beating the bongo drum. <laughs> what a deal, Mota. Eh? Making a profit of 25.5 million from selling a farm uh, to the state in just a few minutes. Eh? Right, so anyway, um, dear listeners, when it comes to all of this, the bucks being made easily, the word is maja. One minute you're driving an old Datsun Skoro Skoro, and the next minute you're flashing with a shiny Mercedes-Benz C63 AMG. To quote a, a former politician of recent past, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> you know, I can't give, get over it. Eh? Bongani Bongo was the state security minister. And now to another very important person responsible for looking after the interests of the citizens of this country. The public protector. The public protector must ensure that your money, taxes, must not be misused. Every cent. Of the public purse must go to uplift the very poor in the country. And yes, people are really suffering. Unemployment is very high. Every single cent must go to uplifting the people. And the public protector must protect every cent. Wonderful stuff, isn't it? Eh? Well, over the past few weeks, a parliamentary inquiry has been looking into the fitness of suspended public protector Busesiwe Mkobane to hold office as public protector and good heavens lots of things are coming out in the washing Kaibo, looking after every cent of the taxpayers money let me read from the city press newspaper it says here it says here evidence leader nasrin bawa showed that for the period 2016 to 2022, there was a budget of close to 159 million for professional and consulting fees, and that about 147 million of the money constituted legal fees. The committee heard that since 2018, Mpwabane lawyers, Sianego attorneys got the most briefs, and this has meant a significant chunk of the funds for litigation were paid to the firm. Evidence showed that the firm has to date been paid just over 50. 5 million in legal fees, and of this amount, Advocate Dalim Pofu was the highest paid 
Council having received just over 12 million rands. More shockingly, the committee also heard that Paul Ngobeni, who is a fugitive from justice and not a registered lawyer in South Africa, was also being paid through Chianego attorneys for providing what? Providing what? Legal opinions to Mkobane. News 24 reported in September that Nkobeni is not registered to practice law in South Africa according to the Legal Practice Council. The legal opinion included articles Ngobeni had written attacking judges who had ruled against Mkobane and two articles he wrote criticizing then Minister of Finance Tito Mboweni for which he was paid 90,000 rands. <laughs> yes, Buddha. This character got 90,000 rands for writing two articles. Ah, uh, baby, I'm not too bad at writing. Eh? For 90 grand, I can write a whole novel uh, defending Bussi. Well, let me tell you about the best part that came out. This one is not just taking the cake. This is a whole big, great black forest, big black forest cake. Pussy was told by a court in, in a case she lost that she had to pay legal fees from her own pocket. The amount was 350,000 rand that she had to pay. She was a little well shy with the bucks, so, so she wondered whether she could ask the public for donations to pay the bill. It's called crowdfunding. So get this. She wanted to know whether, as the public protector, it is legal for her to ask for donations from the public to pay off the 350,000 rands. <laughs> so she asked Chianego uh, attorneys for a legal opinion about this. And they gave her the advice and, wait for it, charged the public protector's office 213,000 rands for this opinion. <laughs> You, dear listeners, you, the taxpayer, 213,000 rand, and you paid 213,000 to find out whether she can ask the public to help her to pay the 350,000 rands. Habibi, Habibi, Habibi. It's a circus. Yes, a circus. Clowns are running the whole place, boss. What's the word? Kakistocracy. Wait, wait. There's one more in the taking the cake category. Eh? There's one more in the taking the cake category, also known as the Chorwan Tamasha Docket. Here's the story. There's a wonderful government project known as the uh, National Skills Fund. National Skills Fund, NSF, which is meant to, and I'm reading from the Daily Maverick, Focus on the education and training of learners and post-school education and training and skills development, research, innovation and advocacy. Uh, in a country where 4.8 million young people are unemployed, the fund is of crucial importance. Well, all I can say is what a great initiative. Dear listeners, isn't it amazing? Guess what? South Africa is a magical country. Magical, yes. Magically, money just seems to disappear. Guess how much disappeared from the National Students Fund? <laughs> hey, Mota, that's a wrong guess. What you said? 100 million? Nah, yeah, way off. The amount is, wait for it, 5 billion rands. 5 billion rands. 
that could not be properly, properly accounted for over two financial years. Unbelievable. Poor youngsters are struggling while someone is making maja five million. Ish and yer and yeses and haibo and footsack to the Minister of Higher Education, Blade in Zimande. He's just not sharp enough, eh? Blade is not sharp enough. Yes, sir. Fees must fall and blade must fall. Okay, let me give a preview of something coming up very soon. Some really hot stuff. I just read yesterday that the journalist Jacques Paul has written a new book uh, about uh, Mr. Gucci. And that's uh, uh, Julia's Dilemma, spilling the beans on wine, women and song and other assorted shenanigans. All the catcher is about to hit the fan. And I can guarantee it's going to create a huge earthquake. News 24 says there's lots of juicy stuff about Malema's lavish lifestyle, um, courtesy of uh, uh, tobacco smuggler Andriano Mazzotti. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Let's change gears now. You know, for weeks I wanted to speak about two topics. Self-interest, that's about how, how many countries have to succumbed succumb to the will of powerful um, countries staying on the right side uh, to acquire economic benefits, etc., or suffer serious consequences. And you can take Venezuela, for example, or you can take the role of China. It's a very big topic which will take up most of the program, right? Most of the program. So maybe uh, let's leave it for another time. This Second topic I want to discuss is double standards, double standards and Western hypocrisy. And that's another big subject, but I'll just touch on it because of recent events. My opening point is this. In the world today, it's very easy to attack Islam and Muslims. Virtually no consequences at all. Hate speech against Muslims is almost normal. Of course, you know all of this. Let me give you just one example of something I came across yesterday. Islamophobia, as we know, is over is in overdrive in India under Modi with murderous consequences. This is from the Guardian newspaper. Police in Kerala are investigating a controversial Bollywood film that portrays the southern Indian state as a hub of Islamic terrorism and forced conversion. The Kerala story directed by Chudipto. Sen has come under criticism for his fictional depiction of tens of thousands of women from Kerala who it claims were converted to Islam and became terrorists for Islamic State in Afghanistan, Yemen and Syria. A teaser trailer of the movie features an actor playing a Hindu woman who becomes a victim of an apparent dangerous game of conversion. And she says, I, in the, in the trailer, I wanted to become a nurse and serve humanity. She says directly to the camera while dressed in a niqab. Now I am Fatima Ba, an ISIS terrorist in a jail in Afghanistan. I am not alone. The film trailer goes on to claim that there are 32,000 girls like me who have been converted and buried in the deserts of Syria and Yemen. A deadly game is being played to convert normal girls into dreaded terrorists in Kerala. Will nobody stop them? This is from the, uh, from the, from the trailer. This is what it says. The filmmakers say the film is based on real information and events, but have not provided any evidence or official reports to back their claims. Right. Today, folks, more nonsense. 
but dangerous stuff. Let me give you an example of double standards. The Holocaust was a terrible event in history, a crime against humanity, no doubt about that at all. Kristallnacht, Kristallnacht, known as the Night of the Broken Glass, is a horrible day on the calendar of history. Here's a BBC report. Uh, the Nazis, the Nazi-led series of attacks in uh, Germany in 1938 left more than 90 people dead and destroyed Jewish-owned businesses and places of worship. It is widely seen as the beginning of the Holocaust. Germany takes the 9th of November anniversary of Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass, seriously with numerous memorial events and discussions scheduled to reflect the Nazis' murder of more than 6 million Jewish people. Right, so that's... But uh, that's what uh, that's a background to Kristallnacht. Now KFC made a huge blunder. The fast food chain sent an app alert, sent a message out on social media on Wednesday saying, "It's Memorial Day for Kristallnacht. Treat yourself with more tender cheese on your crispy chicken." Now at KFC Cheese. <laughs> well, of course there was a huge outcry, and KFC uh, immediately. Uh, sent out an apology saying something to the effect that all the historical dates are loaded onto a computer and the computer automatically sends out a message on that particular date. So, yeah, so it was a mistake. I have no problem with that apology. And it's, of course, the right thing to do. Crystal Nacht, like many bad things that happen to people, must be condemned. But when bad things happen to Muslims, there is hardly any outpouring of condemnation. And so to the cartoons uh, drawn apparently, uh, uh, cartoons that appeared in a French newspaper, right? Hey, I'm talking about last week. What, uh, what's the matter with these frogs? Eh? Don't they have anything better to do? Remember the newspaper, Charlie Hebdo, where it had cartoons of uh, Prophet Sallallahu that led to huge anger in the Muslim world. And uh, also when French President Emmanuel Macron said, no, this is for freedom of speech, freedom of expression. And then one young Muslim guy was so cross, he couldn't control himself, and he went in there and killed 12 people at Charlie Hebdo offices. Well, the French, um, will the French ever learn not to pull the tiger's tail? But no, 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 no. It's okay to make fun of Muslims. Listen to this. On Tuesday, on on. Uh, uh, on Tuesday, uh, Qatar, which is all set to host this year's Football World Cup, slammed a cartoon published by a French satirical newspaper showing Qatari football players as terrorists. The cartoons has sparked outrage on social media with many Qataris, uh, Qatari users calling it racist and Islamophobic. According to the reports, let's see how much of time... According to the reports, the cartoon was published by a French newspaper named as Le Canad and Chantney in its October issue. The image specifically focused on Qatar and its role as the host of the FIFA World Cup 2022. The Qatari users on social media slammed the cartoon and also questioned the ethics of the publication for illustrating a derogatory depiction of racism, supremacy and Islamophobia. The images published by the French newspaper shows seven bearded men with cutter written across their shirts uh, above large numerals. They appear to be playing football through the dunes 
armed with machetes, uh, rifles and rocket launchers. One can also be seen wearing an explosive belt. Five are dressed in blue robes, while the other two are dressed in black shirts and trousers with black masks concealing their faces, resembling ISIS terrorists. Five guys in white robes stand on the sidelines watching the game. Well, there you are, folks. Makes your blood boil, eh? Hmm? Let me co confess to something to you, Mota. Okay. And I hope nobody is listening. You know, I don't watch sports at all. Zero. Nothing. Yes. People in my immediate family are heavy addicts, especially on cricket and soccer. They know every player and even much more Ronaldo's mother-in-law's sister's children's names and what uh, Messi had for breakfast last week before the match. Every detail, Habib. <laughs> As I said previously, I'm not into... Uh, I'm, I'm just into news. Uh, you know, there are enough own goals scored by politicians. Cyril and the sofa, for example, and people getting hit for six... And a good example of that is Elon the Twit and Musk that doesn't smell so sweet. So you see there's enough spots in politics. But still on the subject of double standards and and Western hypocrisy, Qatar is in the news uh, because of the World Cup, as you know. And of course, as expected, the negative comments started flying immediately that it was awarded the right to stage the, 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 the World Cup. I came across a fiery piece by the editor of the website in the UK called Five Pillars. Five Pillars. His name is Roshan Mohammed Saleh. Well, I don't really know him, but you may agree with the sentiments he expresses. I'll try to get through as much as I can in the time that we have. So here goes. And it's titled, Western hypocrites banging on about human rights in Qatar should shut up and this is what he says. Over the past few months, I've watched and listened while a bunch of Western hypocrites have slammed Qatar over human rights abuses, repeatedly vowing to break Qatari law by wearing rainbow armbands and drinking alcohol, etc. The argument of Western politicians, dopey footballers and, ign and ignorant self-righteous celebrities goes something like this. Qatar is unfit to host the World Cup because it treats migrant workers badly, it outlaws homosexuality, and it and so on and so forth. And footballers like Harry Kane and Jordan Henderson have gone further than mere rhetoric. They have repeatedly pledged to break Qatari law by wearing rainbow armbands during matches, something which would ensure arrest and deportation under normal circumstances. But while there are undoubtedly legitimate criticisms of Qatar to make, where were these hypocrites when the UK was bombing, invading and occupying Muslim nations? And did any of them oppose playing football matches in apartheid Israel with its well-documented record of oppressing the Palestinians? So, why is it that a Muslim nation such as Qatar deserves this level of vilification when far worse human rights abusers such as the UK get a free pass every time? Next heading, I'm not pro-Qatar. Now, right off the bat, let me say this clearly, I'm not a propagandist for Qatar. In fact, I think some of the criticism leveled against Qataris are more than justified, especially the appalling treatment of Asian migrant workers. I have lived in Qatar, so 
know the country well, and my biggest gripe against it is something that never gets mentioned, the presence of massive USA base in the nation, which was used to bomb Iraq, Afghanistan, and which is still used as America's launch pad for threatening and intimidating the Muslim world. The mere presence of this military base in the heart of the Middle East is an affront to the sovereignty of the region, and Qatar's rulers have facilitated it. They have literally, literally let the Ummah's biggest enemy right into our backyards into our backyard. Unforgivable. Secondly, the majority of Qatar's population, South Asian migrant workers from places like Pakistan, India, and Sri Lanka are indeed treated terribly. These are the people who have literally built the roads, buildings, infrastructure, which have, which made Doha the modern metropolis that it is today. And they have done so toiling in 50 degrees heat while living in slum-like accommodation and being paid measly wages if they are paid at all. And then there is the whole social hierarchy in Qatar, which can only be described as racist. Let me try to describe it for you in general terms, because there will be exceptions to what I am about to say. At the top are the Qataris, some of whom enjoy incredible wealth, and the rest of whom enjoy a cradle-to-grave existence on generous government handouts while doing little to actually earn them. Then, there are the mainly white non-Muslim Westerners who can enjoy a better lifestyle than they have back home, as long as they toe the line and don't ask pesky questions. Then come the educated Arab professional, professional from places like Egypt, Palestine, and Lebanon who earn much more money than they can back home, but definitely not as much as the white Westerners. And at the bottom are the South Asian laborers, laborers who, considered, who are considered subhuman by many Qataris. And it makes no difference if they are Muslims or not. They'll still be considered the lowest of the low. On the other hand, we must balance this by admitting that Qatar has so far avoided the worst ex excesses of its neighbors, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Bahrain, who have all totally sold out to the West and Israel. Qatar's sponsorship of Al Jazeera satellite channel, many would argue, has been its biggest contribution to the Ummah. I have many criticisms of Al Jazeera, but have to admit that the Arabic channel especially especially has effectively championed Muslim causes from Palestine to Afghanistan to Iraq in a way that few others have. Qatar has also sponsored Muslim groups around the world, such as Muslim Brotherhood, which have championed an unashamedly Islamic agenda and has backed the Palestinians financially with its oil and gas money to a greater extent than any other Muslim nation. Right, so this is about the demands on Qatar. But the demands that the West is placing on Qatar exceed those on any World Cup host nation before them. Humiliatingly, Qatar has literally been ordered to change its laws. For example, homosexuality is outlawed in Qatar as per Islamic teachings, which are followed by 1.6 billion people. Yet, Doha has been persuaded to allow public displays of homosexuality during the World Cup. And alcohol is banned in Qatar, apart from its rest in, in restricted areas, as per Islamic teaching, followed by 1.6 billion people. But Qatar will nevertheless allow foreign fans to drink alcohol during the World Cup. Have any of these Western hypocrites stopped to think how insulting this is for Muslims who believe that Muslim-majority nations should abide by their own laws and customs? Do we insist that the UK stop bombing us or prohibit alcohol and gambling before they can host international football tournaments? 
was Russia asked to end its involvement in military actions in Syria before it hosted the World Cup in 2018? Was Brazil ordered to end poverty and equality in 2014? Going back further, was France ordered to stop oppressing Muslims before the 1998 tournament? And was the USA ordered to stop bombing anyone if it didn't like in 1994? Ah, yes. Ah, yes, but we are constantly told the international sports that international sport is apolitical. So Muslim sportsmen will get fined and banned for waving free Palestine flags or refusing to play against Israeli opponents. Well, all that went out of the window when the West decided this crazy war against Russia must be backed by international sport and its campaign to force LGBTQ culture on all of us must be fronted by the world's most famous sportsmen. What Qatar should do. So, what would I like to see Qatar do? Okay, gloves off. I would like Qatar to tell FIFA and all these Western hypocrites to get stuffed. Yeah, stuff the World Cup if it means compromising one iota on our deen. And I would like to see them arrest and deport anyone who breaks Qatari laws as they would under normal circumstances. In short, I would like to see them stand up for Islamic values and to give Muslims a sense of pride and dignity which the West wants to strip away by constantly pushing us around. Will they do this? Of course they won't. Because for Qatar, for, for Doha, for Doha, sorry, I was interrupted by call. Because for Doha, the World Cup is a massive ego boost and another opportunity to squander the Ummah's money. But I can but dream that one day one of our leaders will develop a backbone. Until that time, the least we can do is to call out hypocrisy when we see it. The least we can do is to call out hypocrisy when we see it. Right, okay, let me finish off here. Uh, I want to finish off with a very inspiring speech that I'm sure you must have heard before, but I think it's worth listening to again. It's by famous uh, director Oliver Stone speaking at the American Writers Guild Awards. The central point is that you must speak out even if you are a lone voice. Speak truth to power. By the way, full marks to Yunus, who speaks regularly on SAFM 702 and Power FM on behalf of all of you to set the record straight, uh, mainly about issues that affect Muslims. Lone voice, you know, a lone voice, while all the big, short intellectuals and loudmouths are busy arguing angrily about this and that on WhatsApp groups. Here is Oliver Stone. Not to remind you, especially you younger writers, that you can be critical of your government and your society. You don't have to fit in. It's fashionable now to take shots at Republicans and Trump and all that and avoid the Obamas and Clintons. But remember this, in the 13 wars we've started over the last 30 years and the 14 trillion dollars we've spent and the hundreds of thousands of lives that have perished from this earth, remember that it wasn't one leader but a system both Republican and Democrat. And call it what you will, the military, industrial, security, money, media, complex. It's a system that has been perpetuated under the guise that these are just wars justifiable in the name of our flag that flies so proudly over our lives. 
Our country has become more prosperous for many. But in the name of that wealth, we cannot justify our system as a center for the world's values. When we continue to create such war and chaos in the world, uh, no need to go through the victims, but we know we've intervened in more than 100 countries with invasions, regime change, economic chaos, or hybrid war, soft power, whatever you want to call it. It's war of some kind. In the end, it's become a system leading to the death of this planet and the extinction of us all. I fought these people who practice war most of my life. It's a tiring game, and mostly you'll get your ass kicked. And with all the criticism and the insults that you'll receive, and the flattery too, it's important to remember, if you believe in what you're saying and you can stay the course, you can make a difference. I urge you, I urge you to find a way to remain alone with yourself. Listen to your silences, not always in a writer's room. Try to find not what the crowd wants so that you can be successful, but try instead to find the true inner meaning of your life here on earth. And never give up on your heart in your struggle for peace, decency, and telling the truth. <laughs> Thank you.